Hello and welcome to the first ever Author Chats podcast, the Quarto Group's exclusive podcast for enlightening conversations with authors, editors, illustrators, and more. I'm your host, Mel Schuett, and today I'm extra excited to welcome Katherine Hulick to our conversation. Katherine is the author of Strange But True, 10 of the World's Greatest Mysteries Explained, illustrated by Gordy Wright. Katherine is a freelance writer, editor, and former Peace Corps volunteer who writes regularly for Science News for Students and Muse magazine. Her debut trade book, Strange But True, explores 10 of the world's greatest unsolved mysteries. Witness a UFO encounter, search for the lost city of Atlantis, tour a haunted house, and discover the Kraken's true form. Along the way, use the scientific method and sharp thinking to separate fact from fiction and explain the unexplainable. Let's chat with Katherine Hulick. Strange But True, 10 of the World's Greatest Mysteries Explained, which will be out in stores on October 1st, 2019. Uh, My pronouns are she, her, and hers. Thank you so much for being here, Catherine. So I want to start this podcast by talking about, in your own words, what is Strange But True about? Um, Strange But True is about the world's greatest mysteries. It's about the, um, the science and the history of the paranormal. And that is means different things to different people. Some people think it's a paranormal book, but I really think of it as a science book. It's a book about how you investigate mysteries, and the paranormal is a great way to teach that because it's so fascinating to so many people. Uh, so I'm really trying to look at these mysteries with um, critical thinking and the scientific method to figure out what could actually be true about them. And you have a penchant for writing nonfiction, even though this is your debut trade book, you've written several educational books, correct? Yes, I've been writing about science for kids for over 12 years now. Uh, I started out writing for Odyssey Magazine, which is a science magazine for kids and teens, and uh, Odyssey no longer exists, but it became Muse Magazine, which I still write for. And um, along the way, I I got some work writing educational books, which um, work a little differently than a book like this in that the publisher assigns me a topic and has a lot of control over how the book ends up looking, but I'm still doing all the research and all the writing myself. So I've written about, in this market, I've written about everything from robots to... um, uh, robots to artificial intelligence to energy technology. I mean, all sorts of different topics. Wow. Um, so I want to come back to your research in just a minute, but I guess I wanted to know why you decided, why was now the right time to write a trade book as someone who's been writing so many educational books? Why did you decide to come to the light side, so to speak? (laughs) Well, I actually, that's what I set out to do from the very beginning was write a trade book. It's just not that easy. I, I wrote my first novel in high school. I wrote a, I wrote a fantasy book for, for, um, you know, 10 to 12 year olds and it wasn't very good. It was probably pretty terrible because I was in high school. 
and I went to conferences and retreats and I wrote several more novels, also fiction. And it's just, it's, it's very hard to get published. It's very hard to get noticed. It's a lot. Revising is very difficult. Um, it's, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort and I, I kind of fell into the nonfiction thing along the way and started getting published in, in Odyssey and in other places, science news for students. And that was very exciting. And so I kind of realized, you know, maybe I'm really good at this nonfiction stuff and maybe people really need it. Kids really need it. Teens really need it. Uh, and I, I can give them that. So I kind of changed, changed tactics and, and looked to get my first trade book published as nonfiction rather than fiction. Yeah, sure. So as someone entrenched in science, it's interesting that your book focuses so heavily on the paranormal. Why do you consider Strange But True to be a science book rather than a paranormal book? Uh, because that's because um, that's how I approach these mysteries. I mean, I, I, I've always been fascinated by the paranormal. And, um, you know, at a young age, I did think it was real. I thought that I could move things with my mind. I thought that I, uh, you know, it was very likely that things like ghosts or, you know, Bigfoot might be real. I was certainly open to these ideas. You know, most kids have very expansive imaginations and are very open to the idea of magic and, and wonderful things existing. And I think that's great. And I think all kids should, should think like that. But I also, at the same time, I don't know where I got this idea from, but I felt like science was ruining the magic. And I was mad at science <laughs> when I was, you know, very young, maybe nine or 10 for doing this, for trying to solve things and take away the mystery. And I feel very sad for myself now because that I wish I hadn't thought like that. And I don't know who gave me that idea, but I wish it hadn't happened because now I know that science is very mysterious and very wonderful and really adds a lot to your experience of the world when you start to learn about it. And so that's kind of why I wanted to write this book, is I want kids to have that sense of mystery and wonder, but I also don't want them to be afraid of science. I want them to embrace it and think of it as a way to to add to their wonder and to really expand their ideas and, and give them more things to wonder about than they would have if they weren't learning science. Absolutely. So how do you see this book specifically as a tool to help educate kids about science and critical thinking? Yeah, I think it's because they... A lot of them are like I was. They, they love these cool mysteries and ideas, and they may not love science. And, and, and they're going to want to read a book that's about, you know, that's about sea monsters and ghosts and aliens. And they're not going to want to read a book about science, but they're going to read this book, and they're going to realize that they can have both at the same time. Uh, and I think it's a great way to connect with kids and to show them that science is not intimidating. It's not um, – you know, separate from, from our world. It's, it's there and everything we're doing and learning about, and it's, it can be fun and exciting and, and, and mysterious. It definitely can. What is your personal connection to the paranormal and why do you think it's so important that people use scientific method when exploring these paranormal goings on? Well, I think it's important to use the scientific method, no matter what you're thinking about. And I think, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, with these, you know, it's just it's just critical thinking. I mean, the scientific method is critical thinking. It's not, you know, unique to science. It's just the way you should be thinking about everything in your life. You know, when there's a fake news story, you use critical thinking to figure out that maybe there's something going on here that's not quite right. When there's advertising that's trying to, you know, change the way you think about something or, or, you know, push you towards one product or another, you should be thinking about that critically and saying, well, maybe this isn't completely true, these things that they're showing me in this ad. So I think that this, this type of thinking is something that should be, you know, there throughout your whole life. Oh, absolutely. Let's backtrack a little bit and talk about your research for the book. Yeah. Um, 
it looks like you talked to some very interesting people. So I would love to know what that experience was like. I would love to know what was the most bizarre thing you learned. I would love to know maybe the most outlandish story that you heard. Um, Mm -hmm. And you've been doing a great series on your website, which I'll definitely link to in the notes for this podcast, where you've been putting out extra stories that didn't make it into the book. So I'd love Mm -hmm. to talk a little bit about, you know, how you chose the stories that you chose. What was the craziest story that you heard? What was your experience like researching this book? Well, I always felt weird when I went into the library to get a new batch of books because I always order books through interlibrary loan. And every time I went in, I had a stack of books waiting for me that were about aliens or, (laughs) you know, or UFOs or psychics or ghosts. And I always felt like these librarians must think I'm insane. But they, you know, librarians, they don't even blink an eye. They just give you your books and they smile and say, have a nice day. They're happy you're reading. Right, exactly. Um, I mean, I I learned so many bizarre things. I think that you know, the most interesting interview for, for me where I did speak with people who do believe very strongly in some of these paranormal claims. And that for me was a learning experience because I don't want to disrespect them. I don't personally believe that aliens or UFOs are actually visiting Earth, but I did speak with someone who does and she feels that she's in contact with extraterrestrials. And I'm very thankful that she was willing to share her experience with me. And I believe that she really did have experiences that to her make this seem real. I don't believe it is real. I believe that your brain can make you feel things and see things and experience things that um, feel very real. But I do thank her for sharing her experiences and I'm glad she chose to because it gave me a glimpse into what it's like to have, you know, have this thing that you're trying very hard to understand and to come up with an explanation that feels real to you. Uh, And I I definitely know that there are people who have those experiences and have explained to themselves that, you know, this is how the world is. Um, And while I respect that, I also think that it can be dangerous to to not um, question whether or not that really is real Uh, and to think about it a little more critically. Uh, I guess if I talk about a a bizarre thing or another outlandish story, um, Let's see. Uh, There was a great story I I heard from Brian Sykes, who's a geneticist, who actually went out into the woods with a Bigfoot hunter who said she had heard Bigfoot knocking in the forest. And this is one of the ones I put on my blog because I I couldn't actually fit it into the book. And they went up to this tree where they heard this knocking sound and and they waited for a while. And they eventually like she would knock on the tree and then eventually they heard some echoing knocks coming from the ground. And she was convinced there was a Bigfoot under there. So, you know, Brian Sykes told me he was feeling a little freaked out by this. And later he went back with a forest ranger and the forest ranger said, you know, this tree is hollow and the branches of the trees up above are knocking together. And that sound is traveling down the tree Ah. to the roots. And this was a more likely explanation than a Bigfoot. So it shows you how, you know, you go with someone who's this, this person, this, this woman he went with is convinced that Bigfoot is real. And so she's looking for evidence of Bigfoot and she comes across this sound and to her, well, there's Bigfoot, but you know, to someone else who, who doesn't have that mindset, it could be something very different and something that's a lot more likely to be the explanation. So what would you, what advice would you give one of your readers, probably a child who Mm -hmm. talks about, you know, who comes in and says, I had this crazy, I saw a ghost, I had this crazy experience the other night. Where would you guide them? Where would you tell them to start their research? Well, I would tell them that, you know, you're, 
that, you know, definitely it's a crazy thing to happen to you. Crazy things happen to everybody. Um, it's totally normal to have weird experiences and to feel like, you know, you've, you've, you've seen something or heard something or felt something that, that can't be explained, but that doesn't mean that it's not explainable. And that doesn't mean that it's outside of you. Your, your, your reality is not what you think it is. What you, what you see and hear and smell and feel is not really what's out there in the world. Almost all of your experience is created in your brain. I was actually just listening to a, a TED talk uh, earlier today about this, that, you know, it's the neuroscientists will tell you that, you know, most of what you experience is not directly from your senses. It's what your brain has cobbled together from your senses, plus just a lot of guesswork because there's just too much information coming in from the senses for the brain to work directly from that. It does a lot of, of what they call top-down processing, which means that your brain is adding meaning to what's coming in from the world. It's painting a picture for you. It's playing sounds for you. It's not just taking in what you see around you, which is a very weird thing to think about. Yeah, and I think yeah. that when you learn that, you realize that seeing things wrong, hearing things wrong, experiencing things wrong does not mean you're crazy. It's completely normal. I mean, every night when you dream, you see things that are bizarre. That's your brain producing a reality for you. And that can happen when you're awake, too. I mean, hallucinations are rare, but they're much more common than people realize. And they, you don't have to be crazy to have one. I am definitely going to quote you on that. <laughs> um, you are based in the United States. So for our listeners, do you want to tell us a little bit about some of the events that you have coming up? Um, and maybe talk a little bit about your book launch? Yeah, my book launch is going to be October 5th in West Boylston, Massachusetts at the uh, Beeman Memorial Library in West Boylston, and um, it's at 11 a.m. Uh, so, of course, if you're in, in the Massachusetts area, I'd love for you to come to that. Uh, I have a bunch of events. They're all up on my website under a, a page that says Meet the Author. Um, but, yeah, I've got events in Worcester, Massachusetts. I've got events in... Uh, Plainville in throughout uh, Massachusetts. Yeah, there's also one in Peterborough, New Hampshire, and Sutton, Massachusetts. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're working on now? Right now, I'm working on the sequel to Strange Butcher, which is very exciting. Uh, and to make my life completely crazy, it's due November 8th. So <laughs> this book is coming out while I'm trying to finish the second book. So, we do. Um, <laughs> so yeah, October is going to be very busy. So the sequel is called Strange But True, Ways the World Could Change, although I'm kind of a fan of the title Visions of the Future. Uh, so that's what I call it to myself. And this book is similar to Strange But True in that each chapter opens with a kind of fantastical story. But this time the stories are about sci-fi futures, like, you know, you can control your devices with your mind, or you live forever thanks to organs that are growing and, you know, being switched out in your body. Uh, so you start with a fantastical story like that, and then I talk about the science behind it. You know, could this actually be possible? What are researchers working on now that could bring us closer to this future? You know, what's more complete fantasy about this? That's, that sounds very daunting. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of research. It's been, <laughs> it's been crazy trying to learn about all this. I bet. And with just the amount of research that you do for each book. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, thankfully, I've written about technology more than anything else. The paranormal was actually kind of a departure for me. So this book is a bit of a return to what I'm comfortable with. I've written extensively about robots and artificial intelligence. AI is probably my favorite thing to research and write about. So I'm, I'm happy to be going back to what I, my, you know, what's more comfortable for me as a writer. Yeah, that's got to be great. 
To close out our conversation here on the podcast, I'm going to be asking everyone some form of this question. Many of our listeners here on the podcast are librarians, and I think that they all want to know one thing, and that's what's the first book you remember checking out of your library? And I would love to know what it means to you to have a book that you wrote in your library now. Well, um, the answer to the first question is that I don't know if it's the first book I checked out, but the book I remember checking out over and over and over again from my library when I was very young and lived in Maine was a book about optical illusions. And (laughs) yeah, talk about your brain making your reality for That's what optical illusions show. And this book had, you know, just pages after pages of pictures of optical illusions and descriptions of them. And I would just, I just ate, I, I loved it. I just had so much fun with that book. Um, <laughs> and how, how do I feel about my own book being in a library? I, I'm so excited. I can't wait to, <laughs> to go into a library and see it there and, and, and see, um, if people have checked it out, uh, that, that makes me very proud. I'm so happy that kids will be able to, um, to find this in a library. And I actually wanted to dedicate the book to, um, my husband as a young boy, because he was also extremely into the paranormal and told me that like, this would have been his favorite book in the world if he had been young when it was out. So I couldn't figure out how to put that into words for the actual dedication, but I can say <laughs> it in this podcast that he was the audience I had in mind, him as a 10 year old. <laughs> Perfect. At least you managed to get that out there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Catherine. This is our, this is our first podcast. So thank you for being my guinea pig and my debut guest. I truly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to our debut episode of Author Chats. Strange But True, 10 of the World's Greatest Mysteries Explained is available worldwide tomorrow, October 1st, 2019. So please visit your local bookstore or library to find a copy for you and your readers. And tomorrow, October 1st, is Catherine's first ever AMA on Reddit. Visit reddit.com AMA at 2 p.m. Eastern Time to ask Catherine anything and everything under the sun about her book and her research. You can also visit quartonose.com to download the official discussion guide for Strange But True to use in your libraries and classrooms. Special thanks to Scott Holmes for our theme music.